and the author of Water. It just goes on and on. I'm not going to read or resume to you. You can see it online. I just want to um, pray for her, introduce her to you. She has a word for you. Heavenly Father, we just love you and we just thank you for getting us all here today. Thank you for bringing Julie and for her message. We are ready to hear from you. Our hearts are open. Illuminate. Give us the Holy Spirit and we will give him his head. Father God, be with Julie. Give her the words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, y'all. I've got this mic on. Do you see the signal, Sherry? Is it, is it working? No. There it goes. Look at Allison run. She's so cute when she runs. Okay, there it is. Y'all have it? It's there. It's gone. It's back. There she is. Okay. Can I see this for just a second? I had, a, I had one of Debbie's darling granddaughters help hand out a couple things when y'all came in. Um, I do have eight children. Here they are. I brought you a family picture. Thought y'all wanted to see. Yes, they're all mine. Yes, I birthed them all. Yes, we know what causes it. Now. Yes, we have cable. I don't know why people always ask me that. Eight kids, don't you have cable? I, I don't... Is that, is that related? I don't know. People seem to think so. So this is all of our crew. And then this is my ninth baby. This is like the sonogram. Y'all are the first group that I've handed this out to. This is the, what the cover's going to be. The book's coming out with Zondervan in about 10 months. It takes longer than gestating a baby to get a book out. I mean, this is the longest pregnancy I've ever had. And it's called Raising an Original. And it is about raising our kids according to the temperament that God has placed within them, individually raising them, singularly raising them, so that when we launch them from our homes, they know who they are in the Lord and the path that he has for them. And so it's called Raising an Original. And we'll be getting the word out to y'all when that's finally going to birth. <laughs> Finally, so we're real excited. So you can play along with car bingo here and keep up with who's who. I need help. I guess I should have put their names on there. That would be helpful to me. But as Debbie and I began to dream about and talk about and pray about what this was, retreat was going to be months and months ago, something that just kept dropping into my spirit that I felt like we were really supposed to talk about as a group was this idea of follow my lead. Follow my lead. And we're going to be talking about over four different sessions, several different facets of what it means to follow my lead. But part of what we're going to be discussing is what leadership amongst God's women is supposed to look like. Now, you know, this little one right here, God put us on a bonus round. So I was pregnant with what we thought was our seventh baby, and our seventh baby was in there. He just had a friend. <laughs> and so his twin sister is Mercy. She's down here. And that's Mercy and that's Jake. And do, you want, do you want to play bingo and know their names? Okay, start up here. That's Madison. She's almost 25. That's McKenna next to her. She's 21. 
This cute guy, that's Justice, and he's single, just so you know. Um, he's almost 19. Then there's Macy right there. And then that's the baby daddy in the middle. And isn't he cute? That's how you get to eight kids. Just don't be blinded by the smile. Just put it down slowly. That's Jairus. He is number four. He's 14. He's 14 now. And his voice is dropping like a rock. Every morning he staggers out after sleeping for 12 hours and he's a half inch taller and he goes, oh, scares me. I was in my, it's terrifying. I was in my home office the other day. I was working and all of a sudden I thought there was a man upstairs in the middle of the day and it was just Jairus saying, what's for breakfast? I'm like, well, given that it's 12.45 p.m., I don't know what breakfast is going to be for you. So, he's growing. This is, this is Journey. She is 12? Yeah. Come on, Allison, help me out. And then that's Mercy and that's Jake and they're eight years old. They're the twins. Mercy believes that she has a leadership mandate on her life. Mercy is convinced that she should be in charge of her twin for this reason. She is four minutes older than he is. Yes, four minutes. And she believes that that four minutes gives her dominion over his world. She believes that four minutes means that he should be willing to play Barbies at any moment. And not only be willing to play Barbies, but be willing to play Barbies the way she wants. And let me tell you, her Barbie world is a very dramatic place. There are sin issues and boyfriend challenges in her Barbie world. And she expects Jake to play along. And unfortunately, the mandate on Jake's Barbie calling is amputation. He actually just... And, and this does not meet the four-minute leadership rule for Mercy. She's very concerned that he is not following her four-minute leadership rule. Mercy has a little bit of confusion about what it means to be a leader. Because she thinks because she arrived first and she can scream louder that she should be the leader. But you know, we have a lot of leadership misconceptions, don't we? We have them in the secular world, and we have them within the church. We have a lot of confusion about what it means, who's going to lead, who's supposed to be in charge, what does that look like? Psychology Today tells us that our typical understanding of leadership, which we think has to do with a title, has to do with a particular position, has to do with a particular income level, only about 10% of people are ever going to achieve those levels of what we traditionally call leadership within our world. Only about 10%. Well, there's the other 90% of us who might be wondering, well, okay, so that, does that mean they're responsible for everything, that 10% that have title and position? Is that what it is? But there's a shift that's occurring, a big shift that's beginning to occur within the secular world when we look at business management, when we look at the ways that corporations are designed. There's something that's now being called socially conscious leadership. There's something that's now being called everyone is a leader. And we're beginning to see a shift in the business world, in the business culture, because what sociologists are finding is when everyone has a sense that they have a responsibility to lead, all ships rise. Productivity is better. Accountability is better. Personal responsibility increases. 
because we just don't shift it off on somebody else. Well, somebody else has to deal with that. Well, that's somebody else's issue. I'm just one of the peasants. I'm just here. You know, within the church, we have struggled with this issue of leadership, haven't we? And I have this idea now, as I kind of look back over the scope of where I've been in ministry and, and the denominational heritage I was raised in, which had very stringent rules about women and, and all these different things up to the church that we're at now, it's really fascinating. I've begun to see that I think the enemy has gotten us so distracted and sidelined, in a sense, with all of these debates and conversations about what a woman's role is supposed to be in the church, in the home, all those places, that what has happened, because we've been so busy worried about position and title and job category, that we've missed that Jesus has asked all of us to lead in this way. At its best, what leadership really is, is using the influence I have for something that I truly believe in. It is the influence that I have and the way that I use it in order to promote what I truly believe in. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it Jesus who wanted us to go into all the world and make disciples? Wasn't it Jesus who wanted us to go and be light, be influence? Wasn't it Jesus who told us that he expected us to be the fish that would swim upstream instead of just following all the way downstream? And that he would make us fishers of men because he was going to give us influence. We're not going to resolve all the woman's role, women's issues, why are women only making 73 cents on the dollar to mint. We're not going to get all that resolved this weekend. We're not going to get distracted by that. We're not going to allow the enemy to get us distracted by those issues, though some of those issues are very real and are going to have to be dealt with at some point. What has happened because we've gotten focused on this issue of what should women be called in church and what can they do? What has happened is we have missed for several generations the opportunity to teach leadership to women in the role of influencer. In the role of influencer. And yet, whether you believe it or not, you're already leading somebody. You know when you were ticked last week at Walmart? Okay, confession. It's, it's, this is a circle of trust. Really? You have never been ticked at Walmart? Really? You have stood in that line that goes out a quarter mile and you've never been ticked at Walmart? But you had influence in that line at Walmart. You may not have realized it, but the people standing in front of you, the people standing behind you, if you chose to turn to one of them and say, so the weather turned to 68 for 14 minutes. Was that not amazing? <laughs> well, how are you? Well, you've got a cart full. Who are you shopping for? Kids coming to town? Or did you use your leadership, your influence in this way? I hate this place. <laughs> Deeply and with a vile passion. I don't even know why I walked in here. I believe in going to Target. <laughs> Actually, I have a theology of Target. I mean, people get confused and call it Target, but whatever. 
Oh, really? Look what, how long is it going to take you to check out? You influenced, you led the environment around you. You lead in your homes. Okay, come on. Who's got the magnet? When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's leadership. That is leadership. For good or for ill, that is leadership. Tim Elmore is a business author, and he writes, leadership is using my influence for a worthwhile cause. Stephen Covey, he remembers Stephen Covey. He wrote, leadership is your choice, not your title. Oh, going to have to write that one down in Sharpie. <laughs> what leadership is, is it is this beautiful organic blend of leading, of following, and of managing. And we're going to be talking about all those components, but it's this blend of leading, following, and managing. I was so thrilled when I heard Debbie give this illustration about a horse, because there's so much truth in this partnership that needs to occur. You know, when you're riding that horse, it's going to lead, but there are times that that horse needs to learn to let you lead, and there are times that you help manage in that situation. And that is the healthiest kind of relationship when we look at what leadership means, what it is supposed to be. One of the things in the process of getting this book out and understanding what all that means and, and all the different components, one of the things that my publisher asked for was a list of influencers. I was like, unpack what a list of influencers means. And what that means is people who are not necessarily somebody with the title and the C-suite and the CEO of this company. It's the people who will passionately believe in the message of my book and therefore will enthusiastically go and talk about the book. They will be leading that conversation by their influence. There's this incredible promise that we are made in Psalm 112. You're going to hear a lot of the word read out loud this weekend because I believe in reading the word out loud. Amen. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. This is Psalm 112. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. You know, that list of traits, aren't those the things that we're striving for as God's women? To be generous and fair and kind and positive and encouraging. All of those things are influence when we use them correctly. That is the promise that comes when we live in righteousness, that we will have influence on a dark world, that we will lead in a dark world. Now, the premise of where we get to this See, God had this original plan. Does anybody remember what the original plan was in the garden? Remember that book in Genesis and things were going to be great and there was never going to be a need for the development of epidurals? Praise the Lord. We weren't going to need things like that, right? 
I assumed that Adam and Eve being on an all-vegan diet were always going to be skinny. And I, like, I just, I look back and I'm like, wow. And never to have to do laundry. Come on. Come on. And instead, Eve, Eve, come here, come here. Toink. I mean, really, come on. But in the original premise, if we look at Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And we jump down a couple of verses, 27 and 28. So male and female, he created them. He tells them, be fruitful and increase in number. Check. <laughs> the earth and subdue it. Rule over the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. We were created for leadership. That is what we were created for in his original design. Male and female, he created them. We were created to influence this world. Not to have the world influence us. We were created to rule. For the purpose of what? Mark 16, 5. To go into all the world and to teach the gospel. To have that kind of leadership that we could talk to people about their eternal lives and turn the course of their lives. That's real leadership. It doesn't matter in God's kingdom if you've ever been a CEO. It doesn't matter if you've ever been a president. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. He, through the power of His Holy Spirit, can give us leadership, influence qualities. If we'll stop evaluating leadership by the secular determination that we've made, and if we'll stop evaluating leadership based on the structure that is biblical, that is there, that we do have these, these positions, right, don't we? That we're to honor, we are. But that doesn't mean that we don't have leadership on us. We are to influence. You say, well, I'm just a grandmother. I'm not a leader, I'm a grandmother. How many of you still quote your grandmothers? How many of you still bake things the way that she baked them? How many of you have a tea towel snugged around a piece of china that you keep because you remember that that grandmother prayed for you? Your grandmother exhibited leadership. She influenced you. So I don't have a job. I'm staying home with the kids right now. Oh, honey, you better have some leadership or they will lock you in the bathroom. <laughs> and they will do things to your makeup drawer. Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything like that. We must influence and lead our homes with our kids. Bucking our husbands and being rebellious toward them? No, that's not what I said. But we are to have influence and lead within our homes. Well, I'm not the boss in my workplace. Hmm. I have no influence. You don't? How about the influence of good hard work ethic? How about the influence of being the person who's always positive and kind when everybody else starts griping? What about the influence of having integrity in the workplace and being the person who's not stealing four pens from the workroom and making copies of your kids' permission slips on the company copier? What about that kind of influence? Debbie sent me a great link 
a video of Francis Chan. Who's familiar with Francis Chan? And in this video, which is so poignant, he talks about the need for us to equip ordinary Christians to be leaders. And part of what he predicates it on is this. You know, we have lived for a long season in this country with religious freedom, correct? But there could be a time coming when that evaporates. What is interesting to me is most Christians are much more concerned about their religious rights evaporating than they are if they are ready to stand if that should happen. I don't know where we got the notion that first century Christians and maybe second century Christians, maybe third century Christians, it was kind of easy. Have you ever read anything about Roman history? It does not read like a Tea Party political ad in any way, shape, or form. Jesus empowered an incredible generation of early believers who were fishermen, who were just women, who were laymen, who weren't church rulers. And he empowered them with such a strong message of, you need to influence the culture. You need to be the ones communicating and leading. That those people, even after he ascended and were threatened, stood as leaders because they understood the mandate on them to use their influence to change the world, which is what they did. Women included women who were the first witnesses to the empty tomb, the woman who bore him, the women who saw him ascend, the women who helped fund and helped operate the early church through their hard work because of their influence. They understood their influence was leadership. We're so in a phase in our culture that we're just outsourcing everything. And God's people are going to need to know how to lead and how to stand. I am on a church staff. I pastor on a church staff. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody will say to me, we know the church should do something about that. I'm like, you are the church? (laughs) Newsflash! Well, you know, I just feel like, well, you know, I mean, you know, those pastors just said that, I'm like, if God lays something on your heart to go do something, you don't have to do it through this church. You can go be the church. Church should be a verb. And for some reason, it's become a hierarchy that we think eliminates our responsibility to do what God has laid on our hearts. But we come from a long line of people who didn't believe they were called to be leaders. So if you're still sitting here going, wow, I don't know. Should we we tell her how bad the highlighting job is on her hair? I don't know. This leadership thing, I, I... I don't know if I really buy her leadership thing. Well, let's, let's dig into scripture. Let's see if you'll believe God. How about that? <laughs> the verse that we are predicating this entire weekend on is found in Judges. It's chapter 7, verse 17. And there's this guy named Gideon. And what he says is, follow my lead. What a leader, right? Like he's a guy in a battle situation, and they're outnumbered, and they don't have all the resources that they need. And Gideon says, follow my lead. It's pretty impressive, right? But there's a whole lot of backstory before Gideon actually gets to that place. Let's get in the Word, and we're going to look at nine 
little stops along Gideon's journey that I think are going to help us unpack when we don't believe we have a responsibility to lead, to be women of influence. So we're going to start in chapter 6. We're going to back up in Gideon's history. And we're going to start in verse 11. And we're going to start with what I call the assertion. Because for any of us who believe that God wants to work in our lives, and for any of us who kind of have a hard time believing that God wants to work through our lives, God shows up, the angel of the Lord shows up in verse 11, and he makes this assertion, and God does this over and over in Scripture, the Lord is with you. That's the assertion that is made. I am the Lord, and I am with you. And guess how many times in Scripture this next thing occurs? I call it the question. Verse 13. What does Gideon say? Oh, that's great, angel of the Lord and all. Um, if God's with us, how can we have this stuff going on? And this happened in our community, and there was this other bad thing that happened. And what about this? And I don't know. It just kind of seems like if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us. Really what Gideon's saying is, I don't see the Lord active in my life. Therefore, how is the Lord with me? And I love what the Lord does. Verse 14, he's like, so anyway. You ever had the Lord do that to you? You have a little prayer time with the Lord, and you're like, and Lord, this happened, this happened, and this other thing. And the Lord goes, so anyway. Um, I do with my kids. They'll come in fighting. We're, they're trying to, you know, this one did that, and this one did that, and you still haven't taken me. And... They're trying to stall and get away from what I'm about to ask because they know something's coming. And so the Lord says, um, so anyway. And verse 14 says, then the Lord turned to Gideon. Then the Lord turned to Gideon. Now that's a word that that's how it's translated in our English, but it's the Hebrew word pana, pana. And what that word means is a turning toward preparation. So we've had this assertion I'm with you. We'd had Gideon fly back with this question. The Lord then says, oh, I'm going to start prepping you now. You're going to start being prepared. And so in verse 15, Gideon does exactly what so many of us do. I call it the stall at my house. <laughs> because the Lord has said to him, I'm telling you to go in strength, and I'm telling you to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not the one sending you? And Gideon says, okay, so see, here's the thing. Um, we totally go. <laughs> but, like, my family line, I mean, seriously, like, I'm just, we're not really known as, like, I mean, I mean, you know, like, we have muscle tone issues, and, <laughs> and we just, we're not, we're just really not, we're more like, we're more like, you know, lovers, not fighters kind of people. <laughs> the stall. And the Lord, in verse 18, says, So anyway, <laughs> I call it the wait. Because Gideon's still trying to figure out what he's going to do, and I don't know, and I don't lead something, influence something. I don't know, Lord, I don't know that I'm built for that. I don't know that I have, a, like, you know, 
the background to do that. I, I don't know that I have the innards to do that. I don't know that I have the genetic makeup to do that. And they're like a special class of people. They're like leaders, you know, like you have to be six foot two or whatever it is to get elected president. Like, isn't there something like that? Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, um, I tell you what I'll do, Lord. I'll just, um, if I found favor, I'm going to, um, I need a sign. That'd be great. And um, I'll be right back. And so Gideon goes, and he makes, at this point, what I call in this particular path, his sacrifice. Well, Lord, it's really nice that you've asked me to do this. It's really sweet. Of course, I'll need to wait for a sign, because it's not enough of a sign that you've actually shown up in angelic form and told me to do this. <laughs> I'm going to need more. Um, but I tell you what, here's a goat. Let's have a barbecue. There's my sacrifice while I kind of wait for you to get your act together on the signs and wonders part. And the Lord goes, okay, it's really cute. Now, we're going to make the real sacrifice. And what the Lord does in verse 25 is he comes and he says, here's the real sacrifice that we're going to make. Here's your first step. You're actually going to go, that goat was cute. Uh, really what I'm going to need is for you to go and you're going to have to actually um, take the second bull of your dad's and you're going to actually go to that altar that's been set up, that sin issue in your family, and um, literally in front of God and everybody, you're going to have to take that down because that's going to be the real sacrifice. You're going to have to tear down the compromise that you've been living in, trying to straddle two cultures. You're going to have to tear down this background that you've developed that you think excuses you from being a person of influence when it comes to being part of my kingdom. And Gideon, bless him, is like, um, yeah, right, okay, um, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to wait till it's dark. <laughs> and then I'll go do it. But it leads to something that's very, very powerful. We've come through the assertion, we've come through the question, we've come through the preparation, we've come through the stall, we've come through the wait, we've come through the sacrifice that he's willing to make, we come to the sacrifice that the Lord says, actually, this would be a real sacrifice. And then when we get to verse 28 through 35, and he's torn down this altar to the Baal, and the family begins to realize what's going on, he comes to that place where he's going to have to deal with his family background. He's going to have to deal with the things that have held him back. He's going to have to deal with the doubt. He's going to have to deal with all of that so that then he really can go be the person of influence that he's supposed to be. You know, we often focus on Gideon's name because Gideon means what? means warrior. And we love that story, don't we? But, you know, there was Gideon, he was scared, he was threshing wheat in a hole, and God came and... And there was that thing with the sheep, the sheepskins, which is kind of the fleece thing, that was a little weird. But, you know, he was a warrior. Well, yes, God made him ultimately a warrior. But there's also two other names that Gideon has that give us a lot of information about the influence he needed to carry to really influence this group. And the first one is Jerubal. Jerubal. And what it means is he's the guy who contended with the idol, with this god Baal that all of this group were worshiping, that they had mixed 
the God of Israel and Baal. That he was willing to contend with the background that was trying to tell him God wasn't enough, God didn't have a call, God wasn't active, God didn't have an expectation on him. He had to contend with that family background and that idolatry. He is also called the warrior, is Gideon. But it's also interesting that the word notes that he is part of a tribe called the Abiezrite. And what that name means is father is help. He was saying he had a background that really, you know, you don't understand, we're not strong, we're not kind of that group. And God's saying, I just need somebody who understands how to help, how to influence for help. My people need help. My people need to be influenced back into only calling on me. My people need to be influenced into tearing down what this, what this culture has called normal. So his name also means help. Help. You know, we see this pattern repeated over and over and over with people who said, I am not called to lead. Moses in Exodus 3 shows up to the burning bush, right? Hey, Moses. Here we go. Same pattern, the assertion. You know what God says in Exodus 3? I am with you. Moses goes, uh, yeah, okay, so um, don't really know what you have in mind. <laughs> it's been kind of a long time here out in the desert and don't seem to be real active. God says, oh yeah? And God begins a preparation in him. And Moses does the same thing as Gideon. Well, you know, I, you understand, I mean, I have the speech issue, <laughs> really not a good talker. <laughs> and God says, uh-huh, all right, so um, you're stalling, I get it, seen it before. And Moses has to go and deal with some family stuff, doesn't he? Has to go back to Egypt and deal with adopted daddy Pharaoh. He has to deal with whatever he came out of that household believing that he wasn't enough, that he wasn't somebody who could influence. Mary in Luke 2. And then Mary, and we're going to give her credit, particularly because she's the girl. <laughs> Mary, angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you. We're back to that assertion. Mary says, I, I, how can this be? The Lord prepares her and says, you're going to bear a child. And she's like, uh, again, I've behaved myself in the backseat of the Chrysler. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. And the Lord kind of says, okay, we'll let you get it figured out. And then she has to go deal with family. She's got a fiance. And she shows up. Hey, uh, you're never going to believe. <laughs> Super awesome. <laughs> and then she leads. She influences Jesus through childhood. She influences shepherds. And she takes things into her heart. And she influences Joseph by saying, this is what happened. And then the Lord confirms it. And she leads. You know, we all have our excuses about why we don't think we need to be people of influence. Not a great communicator. That's Moses. I don't know what I'm going to say. You know, first Peter tells us three women hate this verse. I'm going to read it anyway. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You don't have to be a great talker to influence someone. Just the joy and the purity of your life can influence even an unbelieving spouse. Well, you know, I'm too young. Really not all that important. First Timothy 4, 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Well, I'm too old. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow night, session three. But we're going to talk about a guy named Caleb in whom God said resided a different spirit and who went in at the age of 85, influencing influencing a generation to go in and take the promised land. You're never too old, ever, to have influence. To have influence. Found this quote from Christine Kane. Jesus turned prostitutes, housewives, mothers, prominent women, possessed women, single women, married women, widowed women, childless women, wealthy women, connected women, poor women, disenfranchised women, marginalized women, and successful women into leaders in his movement. It is his pattern. It is his expectation that we will influence and lead in this culture. There is a woman that I love to read about. She was born Isabella, Isabella Bomfrey. She actually grew up speaking German. She didn't speak English for quite a while. And she was born in about 1797. She was, a, she was something else. And she was someone that you would have never thought would ever come to a place of influencer leadership. Because you know, part of the dark history of our country we like to think that slavery was just something that happened south of the Mason-Dixon line, but she was actually born in New York. And she was actually enslaved in New York. And so she grew up as a slave. She grew up phenomenally marginalized, no rights. She was coming into an era in which some discussion was beginning to take place about slavery and what its place would be in America, but it was not the open conversation that began to generate the closer we got to the time of the Civil War. Her son was sold out from underneath her, but this woman decided it was time to have influence. And she ended up taking the white man who sold her son to court and won. It was the first time a black woman ever won a court case against a white man. She changed her name to Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. And in 1843, she gave a phenomenal speech in Ohio called Ain't I a Woman? And she said, if the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. She also said, the Spirit calls me, and I must go. Jesus says over 20 times through the Gospel, follow me, follow me. And in following me, in following Jesus, go and influence the world. 
in following me, go and lead people to righteousness. In following me, go and lead people to the cross. We all have a mandate to lead. We have all been called to lead someone. We have all had it written on our hearts that we have a responsibility to be the person in the room who sets what the temperature will be. We are called to be the thermostats. We aren't called to just record what the world is setting the temperature at. We are called, us, all of us. Let's pray. Father, as we dig deeply into your word this weekend, I pray that you continue to unpack for us and to enlighten us and to show clearly on our hearts those areas where you have called us to lead. And Father, I know that it's so variegated. I know that some of us are called to lead and influence at the kitchen table teaching our kids. I know some of us are called to lead and influence by being the person who is excited and energetic volunteering at the food bank. I know for some of us, we are being called to lead and influence by being a person who is full of faith and encouragement and patience in a challenging work situation. Father, help us to no longer buy into the lie that leadership is only about the 10% who will receive a title or a corner office. Father, help us to use the influence you give us to lead, to lead others to you, to lead them to an understanding that there is something better and greater than what this world can offer. Father, forgive us when we begin to throw questions at you and we stall and, and we make these little menial sacrifices. And what you've called us to do is deal with those voices in our background, those idols in our background, those false gods in our background that make us think we're just always supposed to give in and give up. Let us use our influence through you, by you, and for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just stand and let's just sing out. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord 
Okay, um, let me introduce you to 